Okay, this is going to be the last Sunday in Nahum, and I feel that this study in Nahum has been somewhat disjointed and interrupted, and uh, not all of it has been my fault necessarily. I feel a little bit like the airline pilot that I had when we came back from Palm Springs, California. We had the two-hour delay in the Palm Springs airport because somebody picked a fight with a TSA agent. And so when we got, finally got onto the plane, the pilot came on and said, I really feel like I should apologize, but I don't think I did anything. <laughs> and he was right. So that was one of the delays that was not the fault of the airline, but uh, the fault of some miscreant who thought he could get his own way in the airport. Let's bow for a word of prayer as we begin. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we come to you. We thank you once again for being with us throughout this week. We thank you, Lord, for the beautiful weather, for the warmth. Thank you for the opportunity that we've had of being able to study Nahum. And we pray that as we go through this now that we would be able to Draw some lessons from this that will affect our own lives. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Okay, the, uh, we had some questions during the time about why was, Nehemiah, why was Nineveh affected? Why was Nineveh the city that was... was uh, are going to be persecuted. And uh, I made a statement that this city had been around for a long, long time, that had been around for 5,000 years. And when I go to a museum, I'm very skeptical about dates that are shown in the museums. And when I read uh, articles that are referring to geology, etc., Again, I'm very skeptical, and I apologize for not picking up on this date, that this date could not be correct unless the flood was much earlier than what the Bible seems to indicate that it is. And so the city of Nineveh was probably started somewhere around uh, pretty much right after the flood. Now... The city of Nineveh was founded by Nimrod. And if we turn to Genesis chapter 10, Nimrod was a great-grandson of Noah, putting him in the proper perspective. And we turn to Genesis chapter 10, and it says, Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, which would be actually Assyria, and Calnan in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Reboth Ur, Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kalag. That is the great city. So we have the that uh, Nimrod established the city of, of Nineveh. Now it says that Nimrod was a great hunter. 
This, the way the term great is used here is not necessarily someone that is honored by being great, but it's someone who was trying to be great by actually taking place of God. And so Nimrod was not, you know, he's also known as a mighty hunter. Now, some of you can remember back to the Bugs Bunny cartoons. And in the Bugs Bunny cartoons, uh, Bugs Bunny references Elmer Fudd as a poor little Nimrod (laughs) because he was such a bad shot. (laughs) And so Elmer Fudd could never hit Bugs Bunny and so he was called a poor little Nimrod. Some of you may even remember that back in the 70s, probably, and 80s, to be called a Nimrod was a rather derogatory term. And uh, if you were a Nimrod, they didn't expect much from you. And that goes back not to the Nimrod that's referenced in the Bible, but the Nimrod that was referenced by Bugs Bunny that he couldn't shoot straight. So you you never know what information you're going to get when I'm teaching Sunday school. (laughs) So anyway, we see that uh, the the city was built by uh, by, uh, Nimrod, and the term itself, Nimrod, the word uh, uh, translates out in the Hebrew to we will rebel. And that seems to be the a characteristic of, uh, of Nimrod, that he was a rebeller as far as being great. It's pretty much the same way in which great is used when it talks about the uh, Nephilim. And the Nephilim, that are pointed out, talks as they were great individuals. Again, this was not necessarily that they were great in a good sense, but that they were great as far as Sin was concerned and as far as rebelling against God. So we see the, uh, now in chapter 3, uh, we go to verses 4, 5, and 6. And all the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful and of deadly charms, who betrays nations with her whorings, and peoples with her charms. So we see that Nahum is now, and remember, Nahum is preaching to Nineveh, and he's, Nineveh is a very wicked city, and he's saying that this is going, you are going to be destroyed. We've established this, that they were destroyed and were not found until uh, in the 800s that, uh, that they were finally found or the 1800s, that they were finally found again. So uh, we see that uh, Nahum is here pointing out the problems that Nineveh had. First is it, it compares her to a prostitute. Now, a prostitute is someone that promises something good, something delightful, enjoyable, but actually partaking of it is sinful and can be very deleterious to the individual. And so Nimrod, again, was promising, uh, or Nineveh was promising something to the Jews because, see, Nineveh is the 
uh, the capital of Assyria. And Assyria was now over the Jews and was causing problems for the Jews. Then we see in verse 5, Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and will lift up your skirts over your face, and I will make nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame. So we see that Nahum is now talking about the God is going to show them what's going to happen to them, and that sin always has consequences. That the sin that the Ninevites and the Assyrians were doing was going to have a a consequence. Uh, We see this in the scriptures where it says that, you know, that sin is is, uh, enjoyable for a season. And if you think of, you know, you, you think of a teenager stealing a car, why this is really pretty big, pretty big thing. And, uh, the <clears throat> adrenaline is flowing on something like this, really having a good time <coughs> until you either wreck the car and end up in jail or kill yourself by trying to speed away from the police. There's going to be some kind of a consequence. And Nahum is saying that, that uh, we're going to have the same thing here with Nineveh, that they are going to have a consequence. We see in 6a, I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt. Now the same word, the, the filth, this is thinking about the garbage that's thrown out or even the fecal material that's thrown out from a house. They just threw this out into the street and let the rain wash it on down. And we see that in uh, Matthew chapter 24, Verse 15 says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, abomination of desolation is the same Greek word that's used here with contempt. Now, this was the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but the, it was then translated into the Septuagint, the LXX, and that was the Greek translation of it. And the translators use the same word for uh, filth here as for the uh, abomination that they have over in, in Matthew. Then we see in the last part of verse 6, and make you a spectacle. Now, when you think of somebody being made a spectacle, what is the general idea that you think of as far as being a spectacle is concerned. Embarrassed. Pardon? Embarrassed. Embarrassed? Okay. That's a good term. Anything else? Okay, an example? Okay, public shaming. Now, so far I see two out of the three that are not good. All right. The example could be a good one. Bad Bad example, all right. (laughs) All right, so I wear hearing aids and they don't always work so good. It's one of the things about the hearing aids. They do not pick up the first syllable. When someone starts to talk, they don't pick up the first syllable. And so 
I, I never hear the, the first, especially if it's a consonant, you, you can't hear that. And so it's a cross that I have to bear. <laughs> so anyway, they were treated, they were made a spectacle, and they were treated with contempt. We see this again, and all who look at you will shrink from you and say, Wasted is Nineveh, who will grieve for her? Where shall I seek comforters for her? Now, what is the wasted is Nineveh? How did we see that being accomplished? I've mentioned it already this morning, and that they were wasted. Nineveh was considered to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Now, I looked up what are the seven wonders of the ancient world, and I found about five or six different lists, and they didn't all list the same thing. But Nineveh, which they think could have been the, the gardens of Babylon, could have been actually the gardens of Nineveh, was definitely listed here as being one of these seven wonders of the ancient world. Now, they didn't think they were the ancient world while they were doing that. But anyway, we see that here Nahum is saying, you're going to be forgotten. This is something that you think is so great, and you're going to be totally wasted. As we see, we didn't see anything of Nineveh until 1846, when Nineveh was finally uncovered. Okay, continuing on then with verse 8. Verse 8 and 9. Are you better than Thebes that sat by the Nile with water around her, her rampant sea, and water her wall? Cush was her strength, Egypt too, and that without limit. Put or foot, P-H-U-T is the way it's also spelled sometimes, and the Libyans were her helpers. Okay, we see they're talking about Thebes, and what has happened to my pointer? Uh, okay. Okay, Thebes, Thebes was located in the Valley of the Kings. One, and this was also one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. The current city that we have there is Luxor, which is in Egypt. And we see the, there where the, uh, the Nile River and where this little bend is down here, right across from the Reds, right there, that's where Thebes was located. Now, this is quite a ways from Nineveh. Nineveh is way up there, farther than I can reach. And so we see that Assyria actually included all of that territory, and Thebes was this great Egyptian city, and the Assyrians uh, went in and they took over uh, Thebes also. Now, uh, we see that it says that they were the, some of the areas around them. Again, we see the, this little crook 
That's where uh, Thebes is located, right in there. That's the current city of Luxor. This is the Valley of the Kings. 62 to 65 pyramids <coughs> are located in this place. So some massive, massive structures. Then it talks about the uh, about Cush, and Cush would be in this area. And then uh, we had foot or foot, and they're not really sure where that is at. Some place, place it up here, some place it down here also in the area of, Suma, of, uh, of Sudan, South Sudan. This would be in the area of Somalia now. And then we have Libya, and Libya is way up there. So Thebes had protection because of the Nile, and you see how the Nile River makes a bend there and would protect it. Also, they had charge of Put and Libya and Cush, which now protected them from the south and from the west. The north, they were protected by the Mediterranean Sea. To the east, they were protected by the Red Sea. And so they were considered to be an impregnable city, an impregnable area. But Assyria was able to take them down, and we see that Nahum is saying what happened to Thebes is also going to happen to, uh, to Nineveh. <coughs> Any comments or questions so far? Again, I enjoy geography, I enjoy maps, and I enjoy seeing how they fit in uh, how, how the scripture just really fits in with what the, the world has out there. Actually, it's the other way around. But anyway, we, I, I enjoy, and that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about studying Nahum is how it fit in. Okay, then we continue on to uh, verse 10. Yet she became an exile. She went into captivity her infants were dashed in pieces at the head of every street. For her honored men, lots were cast, and all her great men were bound in chains. Okay, so we're talking about what had happened to uh, Thebes here. And, uh, excuse me, this is uh, what, what, yeah, what had happened to Thebes. And so what are some of the specific things that were happening here? In the verses that I read, okay, they were taken captive. What are some of the other things? Okay, the children were, <clears throat> were dashed in pieces, and what they would take, and I don't want to be too graphic here, is that they would just take them and smash their heads against the wall and uh, so on. Now, we don't do anything like that. Uh, we just <clears throat> go in with a medical procedure and take care of them that way. Uh, but anyway, uh, they were, it also says that their honored men, lots were for her honored men, Lots were cast. What does this mean? This is not complicated. 
Okay, they were being enslaved. Their leaders, they were now <clears throat> casting lots to see which of their leaders they were going to enslave, which of them they were going to take. And so, uh, you know, they were playing rock, paper, scissors with the leaders and uh, that they were going to be uh, killed off. And says then that they were, all our great men were bound in chains. In other words, they were wrapped up in chains and carried away. And so the country was going, to, the city and the country were going to be destroyed. Then 11 through 13, you also will be drunken. You will go into hiding. You will seek a refuge from the enemy. All your fortresses are like fig trees. With first ripe figs, if shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Behold, your troops are women in your midst. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has devoured your bars. So now Nahum is switching from talking about what had happened to Thebes as to what's going to happen to Nineveh if Nineveh does not uh, repent from their their wicked ways. And so what are some of the pictures that we see that he is painting for the uh, people of Nineveh? What's going to happen to them? Grant? I think uh, my first comment there would have to do with uh, actually drinking of God's wrath. Drinking of God's wrath? Yeah. Okay. All right so that they would not be able to do anything about it. Any other comments on that, or things that we see here? Yes? Okay. All right. A drunk does not know where he's going, and he stumbles around, and I still remember the first time that I, my father identified a drunk for me. We were walking down the street in Bismarck, and this guy was coming towards us, and uh, Dad says, just be careful. said, he's drunk, he doesn't know where he's going. And so he tried, he could see us, and he wanted to give us as wide a berth as possible, and he walked right into a light pole. Uh, so anyway, this is what the picture, again, that Nahum is saying, they are not going to be able to control themselves, they're going to be staggered, and they're going to, uh, like a drunk, doesn't, isn't going to be able to control himself, they will be, uh, they'll be staggering around. Okay, the next thing that we see here, the next picture that he draws of them being a drunk, what's the next thing that he shows? This is even easier. Okay. Even before this, you will seek a refuge from the enemy. In other words, they'll be trying to hide. And uh, this, remember, this is Nineveh. 
this was the city which was the greatest city of that era. And those individuals are now going to be hiding from someone who is trying to uh, go after them. Then we also see all your fortresses are like fig trees with first ripe figs. If shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Now this picture didn't mean much to me until I saw the video that I showed in, in uh, Sunday school here that uh, Meyer had made. What was, how were they harvesting the figs? Okay, they were shaking the trees, they were beating on the trees with sticks to get them. Okay, this is what he's saying. This is what's going to happen to you. Your fortresses are going to fall like the figs fall from the trees when they are beaten. And so the fortresses are not going to be able to stand up to this. So they're going to fall. And then we also have, uh, it says, draw, um, oh, behold your troops are women in your midst. What's the picture that he is showing here? Okay, the men are wimpy. How many of you that when you have been golfing, and somebody ends up being short of the hole, you say, does your husband golf too? <laughs> In other words, they're not strong enough to get the ball to the hole. Okay, this is exactly the same picture that we're showing here, is that their troops are wimpy, and their troops are not going to be able to uh, withstand. And then it says that the uh, Gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has devoured your bars. So the gates were going to be opened and everybody was going to come on in. Now remember that the cities were protected generally with walls that were very thick. You had gates that were very sturdy and uh, that they were going to be opened and Nineveh was going to be overrun by the enemy. Now, the fire has devoured your bars. I was not able to figure out or was able to find anything that showed what could be the analogy here. Anybody have any idea on this other than that the fact that the fire was just burning down the partitions or the bars that they had to their cities? The gates didn't the gates that they had were not like our gates necessarily, but they were big wooden gates that were closed. When they would open them up, now you still had the gate and you would go on through a fairly long passageway and there would be stalls off of either side. That was all part of the gate of the, of the city. And uh, whether there was something in there that could keep them from coming on in, uh, I'm not sure. Okay, then we go on to verse 14. Draw water for the siege. Strengthen your forts. Go into the clay. Tread the mortar. Take hold of the brick mold. Now we see another change in, uh, in the message here. And the message that we are seeing now is not so much that they are going to be 
Well, he's telling him, go ahead and see if you can withstand. Go ahead and build some fortresses. And so it says, strengthen your forts. Get some more clay. Get some more mortar. In other words, build some more uh, walls to protect yourself. And we see that this eventually, even though they try this, it's not going to help. They're not going to be able to to, uh, withstand. Draw water for the siege. Water was very important during a time of siege. This is one of the things that Hezekiah understood, and this is why Hezekiah built that tunnel, so that he could bring water in from the spring outside into the inside of the city, so that they could wall off the city from the enemy, and they would still have the water that they would need. And so Nahum is telling the Ninevites, go ahead, figure out some way that you're going to get water in, figure out some way that you're going to build up your walls, and uh, we'll see what happens. Then verse 15, there will the fire devour you, the sword will cut you off, it will devour you like the locust, multiply yourselves like the locust, multiply like the grasshopper. Now the terms for locust and grasshopper that are used here are actually some different terms, and it is probably referring to the nymph stage of the grasshopper and the adult stage of the grasshopper. Now the we won't get into biology here, but you start out with an egg. This egg hatches into a larva, which is kind of like the adult, but it just doesn't have the wings and so on. It's not quite developed, and then eventually it develops into the full-blown adult. It's probably most destructive in that middle stage, because this is when they are really eating a lot. Now, thankfully, I was not around when they had the great grasshopper uh, infestations in the Great Plains. But my father talks about it, that when the grasshoppers came on in, they would come on in, and in two days, the field was just stripped bare. They would eat it right down. So they would actually eat the handles of a pitchfork. And so you left the handle of pitchfork there. When the grasshoppers were done with it, there was either very little wood left or you just had splinters left uh, of this. And so this is what Nahum is talking about. Now we see in the Middle East that there are still hordes of grasshoppers and locusts that come on in. And as they come on in, and especially if they have a wind that will carry them, they can travel many, many miles in a short period of time, and they can just clean everything out. And Nahum is telling the Ninevites, this is what's going to happen to you. Verse 16, you increased your merchants more than the stars of the heavens. The locust spreads its wings and flies away. So what were the Ninevites trying to do here to prevent uh, from being overtaken according to this verse? See it in the first part of the verse. What was the... Okay, they were going to build up their economy, bring in more merchants, have more things to sell. 
But again, if you don't have any money to buy things, it doesn't pay to have more things to sell. But they should, would increase their merchants and see if they would be able to withstand this way. But it was just, it, uh, it was not going to last for them. Then it says, your princes are like grasshoppers, your scribes like clouds of locusts, settling on the fences in a day of cold. When the sun rises, they fly away. No one knows where they are. Okay, what picture is he drawing for the Ninevites here? Using the grasshoppers as an example. Okay, they're like locusts, they have larvae, they devour. But we see it says they were settling on fences in the day of cold. And then as the sun rises, they fly away. Remember that grasshoppers, locusts, whatever you have there, all insects are cold-blooded. And so, you know how it is in uh, September when flies, when it's getting kind of chilly at night and you've got flies around and they are just quick enough to get away from you but slow enough to just really aggravate you all the time? Okay, this is because the temperature is down low, their metabolic processes have slowed down, they're not able to uh, get away as easily. And, uh, you know, you might even be able to catch one with a chopstick sometime. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we, uh, we have this picture that the, the princes, their princes, are going to be slow. They're not going to accomplish anything. And when the sun rises, they're going to be gone. And so the princes were supposed to be leading them, but the princes were going to be leaving and leaving them uh, all alone. Verse 18, your shepherds are asleep, O king of Assyria, your nobles slumber. Your people are scattered on the mountains with none to gather them. Okay, the picture that we see here is of the shepherd. And what was a shepherd supposed to do? The shepherd was supposed to guard the sheep. Now the shepherd would normally, the Sheep would come on into the sheepfold, there'd be a gate there, and the shepherd would sleep across that gate. I'm not sure whether they had uh, dogs then, but I've seen this in Peru, where they have these sheepfolds, and they bring the sheep on in, and the shepherd will camp right there at that gate with his trusty dog, and the sheep know better than to try and get out. And so he's saying here, though, that your shepherds are asleep. And if shepherds are asleep, then the sheep are going to escape. And so the shepherds being asleep is the aspect that their leaders were not leading them in the way that they should. Now, somebody pointed out to me last Sunday that there doubtless were some godly people in Nineveh. And these godly people we're probably going to have to suffer the same fate as what the Ninevites did. But there were some godly people there, and maybe they tried to uh, arouse the uh, 
uh, individuals, arouse the leaders, but it didn't seem to help. Then there is no easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. Okay, so what is clapping your hands? What does that mean? Anybody watch the Gophers uh, Penn State basketball game yesterday? And all of the clapping of hands that went on from the Gopher faithful as the Gophers went from 24 points down in the first half to winning by five or six, something like that. Okay, this is a sign of rejoicing. Clapping is a sign of rejoicing. And so we see that the, 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 uh, your people are with none to gather them. There's no easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. All who hear the news about clap their hands over you. So the enemy is now going to be clapping their hands. We know now that the enemy of Assyria was the, uh, the, the uh, Cyprus. And as Cyprus came on in, the uh, leader here, see who was that, uh, Sennacherib? Um, anyway, they came on in, and this great country of Assyria was destroyed. And we see that they're going to clap their hands for upon whom has not come your unceasing evil. So Nahum is leaving this last comment to the individuals of Nineveh. You are going to be destroyed in the same way as you destroyed the children of Israel. As you went on in you are going to be destroyed in this same way. There's really nothing that you can do about it as long as you continue on in your method of living the way you are living now. They're going to come on in. Your unceasing evil, continuing evil practices that they were doing is going to be uh, punished. I fear that the United States is in much the same position as Assyria and Nineveh were at this time. And that if something doesn't change, we are going to be suffering some of the same calamities that uh, were brought about on, you know, the calamities that were brought about on Germany because of the way the Germans took over calamities that were brought about on Japan. Um, as I said, last Sunday I was reading um, Bill O'Reilly's book about how we were able to take care of Japan, and then um, Lyle told me that I needed to read Jimmy Doolittle's book on uh, the uh, first raid over, over Tokyo. And, uh, you know, what what had happened there, just the, the millions of people that were killed because they followed their leaders in the wrong way. Another thing that I was just so impressed with is the cost of war. The cost of war is just so horrendous. It's uh, just unbelievable how much is cost in monetary 
uh, things as well, as well as human lives. So I've enjoyed the study of Nahum. I said when I started with Micah, this is my first time going through uh, minor prophets. And to just be able to correlate what has happened here, what Nahum was predicting was going to happen and how it did happen, and uh, the aspect that evil is going to be punished. And, uh, you know, it, it hasn't been punished for a while. Uh, the United States is a fairly young nation, but we see that evil is not being punished. Uh, they talk about all of the, the thugs that are going around and stealing cars, carjacking and stuff. They are uh, even, oh my, this has been 25 years ago, more than that. We had a car stolen in Chicago, and we contacted the police, and they said, oh, we've got it. We, we know, we've got it at the police station. We just didn't think that it was right to see a 12-year-old boy driving a Chrysler Imperial with the back window knocked out and thought that he had probably hoisted this someplace. But he says he'll be out on the street again this evening, uh, ready to take the next one. And I think that we are in that exact same position right now where our leaders are allowing these things to happen. Any comments or questions? Okay, Grant, are you taking over next Sunday again? Or is uh, Ryan? Okay, all right. So uh, we'll turn it over to Ryan and enjoy what he has for us. Thank you. You have a few minutes to fellowship yet before the service starts. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.